We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It was really an amazing month. And when you talk about teams getting hot at the right time, the two th- there's no question the 2008 Cardinals might be the best example of that ever. For this week's Remember That Game Rewind, an episode a few years back with Darren Urban of the Arizona Cardinals team website, the 2008 wild card between the Falcons and Cardinals, the first win on an unexpected campaign by Kurt Warner and the Arizona Cardinals. I'm your host, Thomas Emmerich. Enjoy the show. There, there was a special confluence of events that happened when Kurt Warner really had his his last couple of great years here in Arizona. I mean, Kurt Warner was already with the Cardinals uh, starting in 2005 when Denny Green was the coach. And while they threw the ball a lot, uh, once they got both Anquan Bolden and Larry Fitzgerald, part of that was because they never ran the ball very well. And I think it was more out of a necessity and, again, who you had uh, at quarterback. And that's what Kurt wanted to do was throw the ball. Um, you know, they drafted Matt Leinart in 2006. It looked like Kurt was at the end of the road. He was going to be the backup. And eventually Matt Leinart got hurt in 2007 and Kurt took over the job for good and, and, and had his last great stretch uh, with his team. And Again, I, I think it was less about what the organization really wanted and more about what the pieces they had. And you, when you have a Kurt Warner, a Hall of Fame quarterback, you have Larry Fitzgerald, who's going to be a Hall of Famer, and Anquan Bolden, who uh, some people think might end up in the Hall of Fame someday, um, that's a pretty good place to start when you want to throw the ball all over the place. And, you know, when, when Kurt retired, it, they weren't able to throw the ball nearly as much as they could because they didn't have the, the guys. And, and, it took Bruce Arians coming in and trading for Carson Palmer to uh, be in a position where they could start throwing the ball a ton again. So this this oftentimes is all about who you have at the position. And I just think uh, what Kurt had when he was in Arizona was uh, kind of a one of a once in a lifetime second chance, if you will, with him uh, to kind of build on his reputation. And, and I do think that those big years that he had with the Cardinals got him into the Hall of Fame. I don't think he gets there without uh, without his Arizona years. And uh, obviously the Cardinals were fortunate and thrilled that he had those years here. 
Kurt Warner at age 37 makes a big change in, in his game. From your oral history of Larry's playoff run, go I recommend everyone to read uh, Fitz's Fantastic Four. The big sell was getting Kurt to trust, said Todd Haley, that even if Larry was covered, you've got to throw it. That went against the way he was raised and made a name for himself. And you see it from the first play of that game. He gets pressured, throws a fade to Larry. They don't quite connect. How, how much of a change was that for Kurt Warner in 2008? I think it was a big change. I mean, it, it really started in 2007 when Haley first showed up. Uh, and I think 2007 when the team went 8-8, eight and eight, and in those days, uh, with the way things had gone with this franchise since moving to Arizona, 8-8 eight and eight was a big deal. They, weren't, they didn't get to 500 very often. Um, so that was a big step forward. And I think it one part was, was that Haley had convinced Kurt that he needed to start trusting Fitz even more. I mean, they had already played together, uh, for in 2005 and 2006. So, uh, Kurt had an idea of what it was like to throw to Larry, but, um, I, I think it just took off from there among many things. I mean, that Larry Fitzgerald also fixed up his game a little bit, but, when you start talking about, and I don't want to get ahead of ourselves in this, in the Falcons playoff game in particular, um, there's a 42-yard deep pass uh, for score to Fitz. Um, that's essentially a jump ball. And and when you talk about, you mentioned my oral history of Fitz's great playoff run in 2008, or the 2000, you know, the playoffs that were played in 2009. Um, I, I think so many of those big plays were representative of what you're talking about, that trust. Uh, basically Kurt throwing the ball up, which is something he, he was really loath to do a lot of the time, but he, he knew that if he put it up there, Fitz was either going to catch it, which he did most of the time, uh, or he was at least going to knock it away. It wasn't going to get picked off. And that was a big deal uh, for Kurt. And, and I do think it, it led to a lot of success for that team, especially in that playoff run. Yeah, two big plays for the Cardinals in the first half. The jump ball to Larry Fitzgerald off the flea flicker. And the 71-yard drag, Bolden takes to the house, both victimizing Lawyer Malloy, who was on that Patriots defense that upset Kurt Warner in his previous playoff game with the Rams. Do you think the kind of emotion Larry shows on that touchdown and Bolden always shows had an impact on how the team may have flipped a switch that day after they were struggling down the stretch? There were so many things that went into that game. I mean, you, you mentioned flipping the switch. Um, a lot of people remember, or maybe they don't, but, uh, you know, Chris Collinsworth ultimately called the Cardinals the worst team that had ever made the playoffs. Uh, they got smoked on a road trip in New England, and that was the year Tom Brady was hurt. So Matt Castle was the quarterback, and they, in, uh, in week 16, they went up there in the next-to-last game of the year. They played in the snow. They didn't want to be there. It was clear all weekend uh, the players – heads weren't in that game. They had long since clinched to the division because the rest of the division was so bad. And uh, they got, they got lost 47 to seven uh, in new England. And what ended up happening was it was Christmas week, the following week. It was the horrible weather was even in Arizona it was nasty rain. Ken Wisenhunt made them practice in the rain really hard and kind of was like, you guys better figure this out before you get to the postseason." They did get to win that finale, but there was still a lot of questions going into that first playoff game against the Falcons, who had a better record than the Cardinals, but the Cardinals got to host uh, because they were the division winner and the Falcons were a wild card. So I think they needed some of that emotion. Um, the Fitz thing helped. The Anquan Bolden play, that becomes a much bigger deal, less about because of emotion and a lot more because 
Anquan hurt his hamstring right. on the play. I don't know if I, I know he came out after that, and I'm not so sure he came back in the rest of the day. I'm pretty sure it was done because he pulled it on the long catch and run, and then he ended up missing the next week against Carolina. So that was a pretty impactful play, not for the emotion, but because they lost Anquan Bolden. And I do think there was some emotion needed, um, but the, honestly, I think the emotion that they truly got. Uh, was less about that play and more about early, early in the second half when Antro Roll ended up re- uh, recovering the fumble and returning it for a touchdown to give them the lead. Right. Yeah, you go into halftime down three after leading 14-3 most of the half. Matt Ryan storms back, offensive rookie of the year. Pro Football Focus had him graded as their number two quarterback in the regular season. And so he doesn't get down, rows back. There was an interesting note they had in the broadcast about how Kurt Warner, what he liked most about Matt Ryan was that when he makes a mistake, he bounces back. And in that half, Matt Ryan throws a pick on the first possession and comes right back. Did you notice a particular like affection Warner had for Matt Ryan or any similarities he saw in his game? Not really. I mean, I, I think Kurt appreciated uh, any good quarterback play, and that was Matt Ryan's rookie year, if I recall correctly. Yep. So, I mean... I think there was great appreciation for a guy being able to come in as a rookie and and lead uh, the Falcons to uh, whatever it was, 10 or 11 wins, whatever they had. Um, So I I think there was that appreciation. Um, But I do think, you know, as you mentioned, Matt Ryan, you know, that was a, you know, people want to talk about the loudest buildings uh, or loudest stadiums in the NFL. And, And there are, I've been to all of them and there are some really loud ones I go to Seattle every year. That is incredibly loud. There's there's a couple other places I've been uh, that deserve the the reputations they have for being loud. But I'll tell you right now, when when the, the Cardinals were making that playoff run in 08, especially uh, and those home games, the Falcons game, late in the Falcons game, uh, and then also in the NFC Championship, you're not going to find with the roof closed a much louder place. And I do think that Matt Ryan. Got a little rattled a few times in that game because of the crowd, because of the circumstances. I mean, I, I think he played a solid game, but, you know, the the safety in particular, I, I thought the crowd was going nuts. And so I, I think ultimately, um, while I think Kurt, you know, appreciated what Matt Ryan could bring to the, the, the table, I do think the Cardinals benefited by the fact that Matt Ryan didn't have a ton of experience. Perhaps a chip on the shoulder there coming in. Ken Wisenhut noting that uh, a lot of people said we were the worst playoff team ever to get in. He's just openly saying that that day. To to put in perspective how much out of nowhere this NFC title run, the Cardinals went into the playoffs. Vegas gave them 20 to 1 odds to win the NFC going into the playoffs. For reference, the 2011 Giants were 12 to 1, and the 2012 Ravens were like 10 to 1. So the Cardinals at 20 to 1 over the past 15 years, no one was anywhere close to that as far as low Vegas odds to make it through. This game, they turned it around. Two only two and a half point favorites at home against the Falcons, not even getting the field goal. Um, so did you notice like a chip on the shoulder? Not necessarily related to Vegas, but obviously stuff in the media, some of what you referenced. Yeah, there's no question about that. There was a giant chip on their shoulder. They, uh, it was it was an odd team in a lot of ways. I mean, the Cardinals weren't a super young team per se, but they had a lot of inexperience. I mean, these guys had never been to the playoffs that had been on this team, the heart of this team. Fitz had never been to the playoffs. Anquan Bolden, Darnell Dockett, Antrell Roll, Carlos Dansby. Uh, none of these guys had been to the playoffs because they had been Cardinals trying to build up this team uh, 
in a lot of ways since Denny Green had been around and Ken Wisenhunt kind of took it to the next level. Um, so there was absolutely a chip on their shoulder. I, I think there was a lot of questions. I mean, the team, um, it, it, it took a while, even though it was their first playoff game in a decade, uh, the Falcons game, it, it took them the majority of the week to get sold out that it would even be in those days, you'd sell the blackout. So to even get telecast uh, locally, um, so I think there were some fans that weren't real sure after the really great start, and then they just limped to the finish. They lost uh, five of the last seven. So, I mean, I, I think ultimately that was part of it. But, again, they got off to a slow start in this one, and, and then it just kind of got on a roll. Um, you know, the next week they went to Carolina. Uh, they had played in Carolina during the season and lost, but it was a game they could have won, and I think they knew that, and that was the day they – you know, Jake DeLome just melted down, had all his turnovers. And then, of course, they had the, the miracle result. There was only one way they could have hosted the NFC Championship going into the playoffs, and that was if the six-seed Philadelphia made it all the way through. And somehow the Eagles won their wild card game and then went to New York for the, to play the number one Giants and won in New York. And uh, that was another team, the Eagles, that the Cardinals had played during the regular season. They went to Philly. They got hammered on Thanksgiving night. But it was just like the New England game. It was almost like the Cardinals mentally weren't there before it even started. I could kind of tell it on the road trip. And so when you got to the NFC Championship, I know I felt like they're at home. I think they're going to win this game, even though they lost by 20. And a lot of people weren't sure that was going to happen. But it was kind of the role that they were on at the time. It was just it was really an amazing month. And when you talk about teams getting hot at the right time, the two th there's no question the 2008 Cardinals might be the best example of that ever. And Kurt Warner didn't even enter that previous offseason as the starter. It was Matt Leinert. Heading into camp, did it seem 50-50 Kurt would come out or that Leinert would retain the starting job? And how did that change Warner in any way? First of all, let's take the last part first. No, it didn't change anything Kurt ever did. And, you know, Kurt Warner is a great man. He's a Hall of Famer. Um, but he, there is no question that there is no bigger believer in Kurt Warner than Kurt Warner. And he always felt like he was the better quarterback. It was just a question. And he felt that way when he was at the end with the Rams, when he was with Mark Bulger. He felt that way even after Eli Manning was drafted with the Giants. And he felt that way when he showed up in Arizona, that if coaches gave him a fair competition, whoever it was against, he would be better. Now, he knew the politics of the NFL. That wouldn't always change. I mean, he had been beat up in the Rams. They wanted to move on. Okay. He got signed by the Giants. As soon as they drafted Eli Manning or traded for Eli Manning, he knew his time was going to be short there. And when he came to Arizona, uh, he'd been there a couple years or the one year, and then they, they drafted Matt Leinart. And he knew the, the point was that Matt Leinart was supposed to be the quarterback. So he wasn't unaware, but he went into 2007 he was the backup in Ken Wisenhunt's first year, but there was no question that Matt Leinart was never Ken Wisenhunt's choice as a quarterback. Uh, although Leinart started very early in the season, they started using Kurt Warner as kind of like a relief pitcher in uh, hurry-up and uh, fast-paced two-minute situations, which he excelled at. And there was this weird uh, shuffling of the quarterbacks those first five weeks until Leinart got hurt. And so you ended the season in 2007 with Kurt Warner having a good year, the team playing better as the year went on. But then, but because Leonard had been hurt, he went into the offseason of 08 thinking, okay, you know, Wisner was one of those, I don't want a guy losing his job because he was hurt. 
So Liner technically was the starter, but I think there was a real feeling all along that Kurt Warner was going to end up as the starter, and it was only a matter of time. And they, they did take it all the way into training camp, but eventually when Kurt was named the starter, it really wasn't that big of a surprise. Kurt Warner was just too good at that point. He fit too well in that offense, and they were better with him on the field. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And they end up leaning on Kurt Warner a ton. Top pass ratio in the league. At age 37, he leads the league in combined hits and sacks, along with lapping the field pretty much in passing yards under pressure. Hit well thrown 17 times. No other quarterback that season was in double digits. Then in the playoff game, they get to Warner. First and second down, hit him. On third down, he's pressured for a dump off. They punt that first drive. They come back the next drive. Free straight runs with Edger and James. How did Edger and James' fairly public uh, disagreement with the di- direction of the offense impact the locker room and did it impact anything that day? You know, I, I think Edger uh, handled himself the, all that season like a pro. Um, the way that year went, um, Edron was the starter. They had drafted Tim Hightower in the fifth round, I believe. He was the backup running back. Um, Edron was not the player he once was. They did not have a great offensive line, and they were better throwing the ball. And uh, about midway through the season, uh, Wisenhunt benched Edron, and Edge was not happy, um, as you can well imagine, and he barely played. I think he might not have played at all for three games. And Hightower got the majority of the work. And in hindsight, it did turn out that, you know, giving Edge a little bit of that rest might have helped. But it clearly rubbed him the wrong way. You could kind of tell that this was going to be the final year of Edger and James in Arizona. But I will say that going into the playoffs, um, they knew who their top running back needed to be. And I thought Edron had a nice game in his uh, limited work. Uh, because they didn't run the ball a ton against Atlanta. And if you look at that playoff run, you know, no one's going to confuse them with the Ravens in terms of how they ran the ball. Um, But Edron had a very nice postseason all the way through the Super Bowl. And I believe that for all the other things that happened for the Cardinals and as great as Larry Fitzgerald was, which he was, um, I believe that the Cardinals do not make the Super Bowl that year without the running ability of Edron James, who gave them, while not a great running game, a better than average running game for when they needed it so that they could keep going to the pass. And uh, so, uh, you know, I I do think that made a difference. I think being able to turn to edge once you got to the playoffs made 
a difference. And Edron was enough of a veteran of playoff games that he was one of the few guys that could tell guys what's up and what's happening. And, and he gave them that swag that I think they needed too. Come out of halftime, down three. On the other side, the, the Cardinals are doing a great job stopping the run. Michael Turner, the NFL's uh, the leader in carries that season, barely scraped over two yards of carry that day. How surprising was it that the Cardinals' run defense came out so strong that day? And coming out of halftime, what was the mood about how to stem the bleeding that after the Falcons had scored two touchdowns end of the half? I think overall the Cardinals' defense played above its head, maybe maybe to where it would need it to be um, in that playoff stretch. I mean, if you think now they they tended to to break down a couple times as we we saw in a couple playoff games, but you know the Falcons game uh, they were pretty good in the second half. Uh, but they, they came out solid, like you said, up until the end of the second quarter. Uh, the Carolina, we already mentioned that with all the turnovers they forced. They gave up an opening, easy opening drive for a touchdown. And after that, the Panthers couldn't do anything. And the Cardinals built a giant lead against Philadelphia in the NFC Championship because the Eagles couldn't do anything. So I think defensively, the Cardinals uh, played excellent uh, in the postseason. And, and again, when you talk about getting the crowd back into it and where it was in that game against the Falcons, it wasn't necessarily the offense that did it. It was, it was the forced fumble and the entree roll returning it for a touchdown to give them the lead and to kind of reinvigorate everybody uh, that, okay, this, this could still happen. Because again, when you're talking about the Falcons playoff game in particular, uh, I think everybody was thrilled they were in the playoffs, but there wasn't a whole lot of belief that this was a team that was going to go very far. And so I think that permeated into the fan base. And while they were certainly willing to cheer, um, you know, any ups and downs tend to tended to be looked at a little bit more pessimistically, I think. So I think that fumble return was a big deal. And then if you're talking defense, they also got a safety later in the half uh, that, you know, again, crowd was going crazy you know, you, you swarm Matt Ryan, you get two points out of it. Uh, in a game that was close, that was pretty important. Darnell Dockett jumps the snap count beginning of the second half when Falcons start with the ball, completely swings the momentum. Do you think that crowd volume probably had something to do with Dockett being able to jump that snap count and force the fumble on the handoff? You know, it's funny. The, the, there was always this talk about whether Darnell Dockett was actually offsides on that play and everything. Uh, he, he even... Uh, there was there was some talk later that maybe the Falcons had given away a a tell on their snap count and stuff, which allowed him to get off so quickly. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think the crowd played into it. I think there's a possibility maybe maybe the Cardinals did figure out something with a rookie quarterback snap count. Um, but clearly, when you're talking about playoffs and close playoff games, turnovers matter. Defensive touchdowns matter. Uh, and, and when you're talking about doing it at home, when you can get the crowd behind it, I mean, that's just giant. Soon after the Cardinals are up 28-17, and you have these Cardinals uh, defensive backs, you have Dominic Rodgers Cromartie on Roddy White a ton. Uh, Roddy White, 16 targets, 11 catches, but held only about 80 yards. And then you have Adrian Wilson, uh, yeah, Antro Rolls, uh, and some good coverage linebackers in Gerald Hayes and Carlos Dansby there. Did it seem like the Cardinals just weren't really worried about anyone else besides Roddy White that day? You know, I, I mean, obviously Turner was a very good running back. So I, I would say, you know, there's 
there was that. And you, you, right. talking about the passing game, you know, I, I think the Cardinals, quite frankly, were all about, you know, hey, we're going to we're going to try and pressure this rookie quarterback. Um, we're going to try and put him in bad positions, uh, and we're going to try and build the lead. I mean, again, as good as the defense was playing, this was a team that was still built on offense first, um, and you you hope that you could you know outscore teams. And so once you once you got that lead, and they were able to bring pressure, and you know maybe force Matt Ryan into a, a bad throw, you know you know getting picked off. Uh, you know, that was that was the point of the defense that day. It wasn't necessarily that they weren't worried about any particular guy, but it was about getting that lead and then getting the pressure on the rookie quarterback. Yeah, and uh, coming out of the half, you know, assuming Bolden's not probably uh, probably not coming back, does that change the Cardinals' approach? Or, or is it more so them having the lead that makes them a little more run-heavy than they'd been during the regular season? I think it was a combination of both. I mean, Ken Wisenhunt at his heart was a, was a guy who would come from Pittsburgh in the days when Jerome Bettis was, uh, and he was the offensive coordinator in the days when Jerome Bettis was like the, the main guy before they started throwing the ball all over the place. And I think at, in, in his heart of hearts, he'd rather do it that way. And, and really uh, they got the, you know, they're, they're up um, in the third quarter, you know, with, the lead after the fumble and there's a drive that they take almost eight minutes off the clock on, um, that gets them a touchdown and they run the ball. I want to say nine times out of, out of 14 plays or something like that. And I, I think that's the kind of offense that ultimately Ken Wisenhunt enjoyed doing. I mean, it's grinding clock. You're doing it with a lead. You end up pushing it into the end zone. There weren't a whole lot of big plays on that drive. Uh, I think there was only one play of more than 10 yards. Um, and, and that's, that's like fantastic old school football that I think that they wanted to do at that time. Plus again, it gave them the lead. Uh, and then they got an interception right after. I mean, the, 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 the momentum had clearly shifted. And again, I think with Ken Wisenhunt, he's like, if we can run clock and hold on to the ball while running it, um, with the crowd behind us, that's that's the ideal way to play, even if we do have Kurt Warner and Larry Fitzgerald and Anquan Bolden. Candy allowing zero sacks to John Abraham. No one gets home for the Falcons that day. How crucial was that in, in their confidence in having Warner come out and throw at the end of the game when they know they need to get first downs to close it out? I think offensive coordinator Todd Haley was like super – that whole year was, was super – uh, aware of where their offensive line was. They did not have a great offensive line. They had, uh, you know, Mike Yandy left tackle, um, Reggie Wells at left guard, center was Lyle Senline, the right guard was Deuce Latui, the right tackle was Levi Brown. It was not a great offensive line, but they were not a bad offensive line. And the one thing that they had was this whole stretch, all 20 games, 16 regular season and the four postseason games, they all started every single one of them. And that's rare for an offensive line, obviously. And I think that helped them. But um, I think they, again, they came to play in the postseason, just like most of this team. I feel like this offensive line played better uh, when it counted than it might have during this down the stretch. And you, you don't want to have to wait for a team to turn it on, but they were able to do that. And I do know that, 
you know, even going all the way to the Super Bowl, one of the reasons they were able to storm back from that deficit in the Super Bowl was because Kurt Warner, because they had to, uh, Kurt Warner convinced Haley to open things up, go to more four wide receivers. And one of the reasons Haley didn't want to was because he didn't want this offensive line having to protect against the uh, ferocious Pittsburgh pass rush. And they didn't have a choice and they were better offensively that way. So I think most of the year, and that includes the Atlanta game, going back to that drive I was talking about where you're doing the run, they did enough of that stuff and, and using Edron James especially uh, to keep pass rushers off balance a little bit. And Kurt Warner, you, you can't discount what Kurt Warner brought to the table. Kurt Warner knew where guys were coming from. He was willing to take a hit, as you mentioned in the stats earlier. He was willing to take a hit to make the throw. But he's also smart enough to know that I can't get hit every play and i got to get the ball out to the right people. On that final drive, Elkins had brought the score to 30-24. to 24. They have a few minutes left. Come out first down, hit Fitzgerald downfield, and then eventually get a third and 16 with a chance to basically close it out. Warner drops it over the linebacker to a virtual unknown tight end, put the Cardinals basically into the next round. Remember if that was the initial read there? Was so, this holding out of the game? I would doubt that Steven Spock was the initial read out of that. I mean, they, they put themselves in a position where they could wrap it up, even though they were up six, they had the ball. You mentioned the first pass to Fitz to get the first down. Uh, and then, uh, and they got a second first down because of another nice pass to Steve Breston that got him 25 yards, but you're, you're still in front of the two minute warning. Uh, you know, you're, you're able to use up or Atlanta's used up all their timeouts. Uh, and they use up their second timeout on a, on a first down run. That's two yards. And then on second down, for whatever reason, they try to run a reverse with Steve Breston and John Abraham blows it up and it goes nowhere and they lose eight yards on second and eight. So all of a sudden, and Atlanta takes their last time out. So you're still in front of the two minute warning and it's third and 16. And it's, you know, you're figuring that you're going to be have to give the ball back to Atlanta with two minutes to go and they a touchdown beats you. And that's where the greatness of Kurt Warner comes in. Like I said, I do not believe Steven Spock was the first read on that play. I'm sure Fitz was the first read on that play because you'd be crazy not to be looking for him. Um, but Steven Spock found a hole in the zone uh, deep enough. And Keith Brooking, the linebacker, the veteran linebacker, just had moved up too much. And Kurt Warner, I mean, there's a reason he's a Hall of Fame quarterback. And he drops the perfect pass into Steven Spock. They gain 23 yards. Um, he goes down and it's they're able to kneel out the clock and it was just it was such a it was a it was such a great ending because not only did they get the playoff win but it, it's on the arm of Kurt Warner and he does it and it's it, it's a nice it's a nice highlight for Steven Spock who was a great guy uh, and who early in the next playoff game ends up blowing out his knee um, and misses the rest of the Super Bowl run uh, but he did have his moment where he made the big catch. Yeah, calling Spock's number there would be, yeah, would be surprising, even though no slouches in the Falcons secondary at cornerback with yeah, Javis Jackson, Dominique Foxworth, uh, Chris Houston, Brent Grimes at that time playing sparingly, but like a, a good deep unit. And there they close it out. Was there a, Last question, was there a different vibe coming off this team walking out of the stadium that day? Oh, I don't think there's any question about that. I mean, they got a playoff win. They believed in themselves. Um, you know, the, the true momentum 
for the playoff run probably didn't get going until the Carolina game the next week. But they had a lot of uh, confidence going into the Carolina game. Like I mentioned earlier, they had gone there earlier in the year and they they had nearly won and they felt they should have won. So there there wasn't a whole lot of fear that they were playing this 12 and four Carolina team. Um, You know, it got a little dicey, like I said, at the beginning of the Carolina game where they gave up like a touchdown drive in like five plays and it was super easy for Carolina and it looked like, okay, this might be the end of the run, but the rest of the game, the Cardinals dominated Larry Fitzgerald in particular dominated um, and they were, they were off. And, and again, this was a team of, of young, good players that uh, I think they just needed some confidence. The uh, Falcons game gave them that. Uh, and then having Kurt Warner in their ears, their collective ears every week, telling them what it took to get all the way to the Super Bowl, knowing that he had been there twice already, I think helped too. This has been another episode of Remember That Game. Please rate, review, subscribe, and check out more episodes.